Navy has changed a lot. I like to say, you know, I've grown a lot, Navy's grown more. And that's fantastic. Navy is evolving. We maintain our traditions and what makes us Navy, what, what that, that core, but we are evolving because we, we are a representation of the wider society. Ships and, and capability are great, but Navy is people. That is what we are. That is our, our absolute core. Uh, and without that, we're nothing. You know, I still go back to, you asked me at the time, what does success look like? And I, I said something along the lines of, you know, success is one person changing their life, taking something away from the program and changing their life for the better. Leadership is love. And we don't normally talk about love in the sense of the military, not because we're all macho, but it's just not something that we connect. But you know, when you actually stop and reflect on it and think about it, love is trust and honesty and setting the conditions where people feel safe. Hello, it's Andrew May, and welcome to another episode of the Maz Social Mastery Podcast. And I'm joined with Angela Poon, and we are interviewing the driving force behind the Integrated Mindset Social Mastery Program, Commander Dean Thompson. Dean is Human Resource Strategy Director for the Maritime Acquisition and Sustainment at Royal Australian Navy. Today, we are talking to Dean about the origins of the Social Mastery Program. We're also going to find out a little bit more about Dean. He started his career in the Royal Australian Navy over 26 years ago. My goodness, he must have been 10. He worked over in United Arab Emirates for six years before coming back to Canberra as career manager for junior officers under training. He then had multiple roles and in 2019 became assistant chief of staff to the chief of Navy when we first met and 2021 became the HR strategy director for Maz. Dean, welcome to the podcast studio. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Now, it's a probably different environment for you, getting outside of what you do. Today, though, we really want to talk about three key areas. Who are you? Like, I see you in this uniform and you look resplendent and professional. I want to pull on the thread a little bit about you. I know you started in the military at 17 years. So yeah, you that's went correct, from Adelaide yeah. to the military. Let's go back and find out about that person. Two, the genesis of this social mastery program, the idea that you picked up. Some other people had put the frameworks together. Did you get the short straw or did you put your hand up to say, hey, I want to pick this up and give it a bit more detail? Like everything, I fell into it. You fell into it. And third, we want to talk about the program we're doing, some of the learning you've had and, and where you see this going in the future. So let's start with a young Dean, take us back to the 17-year-old guy who was looking at what does he do next after he finishes school. Now, when you rocked up, was it ADFA in Canberra? No, no, I joined as a sailor initially. So actually a funny story, the, I went into defence recruiting uh, and I did my, my testing and I did this little interview that you do and they have photos of ships on the wall. And I joined as a marine technician. So they said, uh, you know, okay, these ships, what are the main engines in them? And I got all the answers wrong. And then uh, I walked out of that room going, oh, I've bombed it. Sat down with, with then a, a petty officer who just seemed massive to me at the time. And he said, look, we've got a spot on the course that starts on Monday. Do you want to join? And I was like, uh, I have to go ask my mum. So I called up mum and she was dead against it. My, but my dad, having served, was like, oh, let him do it. Be great. So the rest is history. So I got on the bus the following Monday, flew to Cerberus, or flew to Melbourne, I should say, and then got on the bus, went down to Cerberus as a 17-year-old, just, yeah, and the rest is history. So going from growing up in Adelaide, 
that bus trip to Melbourne rocking up, how did you feel? You rock up there on day one. As you said, everyone looks big. And, and I remember back when I was 16 and 17, everyone looked so much bigger, so much more important, so much more official. I would have found that overwhelming coming from Dubbo. So how did you find that coming from, from Adelaide? Yeah, there was, a, there was a sense of excitement initially and then reality hit, you know, and like all young people away from home, the reality of I'm not in Kansas anymore, I'm in this real strange world. And I'd come from a very structured high school. So following the rules and everything, that was the easy part. It was the, the separation from the known being the home base to this, this foreign world. And I joined in a late intake. So I joined in the October. And so there was a lot of older guys and girls in my recruit class. So I was the youngest by far. And the guy I shared my rack with, because you have a cabin of six people, he was 27 and I was 17. So he dragged me through. And I remember um, early on going around doing the sort of the tour and you'd, we went past the laundry and, and the, the PO was like, all right, who hasn't used a, a washing machine? <laughs> and I was the only one who put my hand up. <laughs> a what? You know, washing machine? What's that? Mom! That's right. And, I, you know, I got a spray and then I was very quickly told, stop putting your hand up. <laughs> <laughs> Wise words. Did you have a nickname? Like as a, as a junior lad like that, did they give you a, an endearing nickname? Tintin. Tintin. You know what Tintin is, Yeah, that's actually very appropriate. Tintin joins the Navy. I think we're going to have a graphic on this one. We need to get our editor to put it. That's awesome. So did that stick? It did. It stuck for a long time. So it was a Tintin or Tomo, obviously, because the last name's Thompson, uh, and everyone in the Navy gets a nickname. So, you know, I got off lightly. And has realised this with working in sport now, the work we're doing, largely the expansion with the connection with you, Dean. But in the military and sport, everyone has an O, an E, a Y, or they're an animal. And Ange often says, what's what's his real name? What's her real name? I go, I don't even know. It's just, <laughs> just Dungo or Wombat or, you know, Dingo. You said your dad served. What did he do? Yeah, so dad joined as a junior recruit. We don't have them anymore. But uh, so as a 15-year-old, he was shipped off from Adelaide to uh, Western Australia and did his high school there. And then he went off to Vietnam in HMAS Vampire as, as quite a young young guy. That was his sort of Navy time. So he was a quartermaster gunner. And then he had a couple of jobs in and around the place, ended up in Adelaide at recruiting, met my mum, decided that he would get out. So he got out for a period. And then he joined the Air Force and did 20 years in the Air Force as a fireman. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I grew up in and around defense. So, you know, I kind of knew the environment, I guess. So Tintin goes to the Navy in Melbourne, 17 years. What did you start doing? Because you don't just join the Navy, the Air Force or the Army. You get a vocation or you have a, a career as well. Yeah. So I joined as a Marine technician. So in my early discussions with, with dad, I had to join and get a trade because he didn't. So that was his big stipulation. Uh, so I, I, I went in, became a Marine technician. Now, if you had have asked me at the time what a Marine technician was, I couldn't have told you. But I just knew I was getting a trade and joining the Navy. And I was lucky. My cohort were an amazing bunch of, of guys. I learnt so much from them. And I really grew up, when people say, oh, you grew up in Adelaide. I didn't grow up in Adelaide. I grew up in, in the Navy, uh, you know, as, as an adolescent. So went down there, did that training, and then I fell into sort of more the electrical side and sort of high power. So what we'd sort of class as sort of domestic electrics and, and sort of electronics to do with main propulsion and, and, 
hotel services on board ships. Mm. Ange knows this. Um, our children generally don't give us stuff what mum or dad do around work. So when I talk to my kids, oh, I've been with a bank today, or I've been with a consulting firm, they're like, oh, yeah, um, what's for dinner, dad? Arch and my son, there's three client groups I work with that he absolutely loves. One is like athletes like Tim, so he, he's across everything in boxing. The second one, he comes to me, he's like my cattle dog. I go to a manly game, there's Arch. Like All the players know him to say day now because he's just there by my side. The third one that he loves talking about is Navy. So Arch knows when we go down to Canberra and we're doing work with you in the Navy, he's just mesmerized by it. I think I'm becoming part of your recruiting team because Arch wants to be a professional soccer player, like most young kids who play soccer. And I said, if you don't, I think getting a career in defense would be a great idea. And I've said that to other friends as well. And they go, so what do you think about that? I think it's wonderful to actually go and join the Air Force, Navy or Army, learn a lot, which we're going to talk today about social mastery, but more domain mastery. So to be in an environment, which is like a big team and get a career or a vocation, I can't think of any better start for a young man or a young woman who's lost or has no idea how to go down this path called career and what I need to do and self-actualization. I think it's a great journey to take. Yeah, I think I've been really lucky and, and I think careers are challenging they have ups and downs. I've had more ups than I've had downs, which which I feel really, really fortunate for. And Navy has offered me the ability to choose my own adventure. So like I said, I joined as a technician. I went to sea as a technician. I loved it for a period and then I grew out of it. And then I was offered another opportunity. And so I, I commissioned and I was a maritime warfare officer and, and navigated and, and drove warships and, and, you know, and got a taste of, of real leadership, both in the divisional sense, so looking after a team of people, as well as sort of on the bridge of a ship, you know, leading the ship and managing the ship on behalf of the captain for periods of the day. So, you know, that, that was a real sort of shift that the Navy enabled me to do, having left school you know, as a 17-year-old joining as a technician and then sort of, you know, matriculating up into this 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 job that I never thought I'd get. I remember speaking to my sister and she was like, you're doing what? They're letting you do what? You. you know, so <laughs> it, it's amazing that sort of journey. And then even when I decided that um, I wanted to have a bit of a career break and try something new, you know, Navy once again enabled that. So, you know, I was able to go out and get a different experience and then once again come back and, and re-roll again into like a, a fourth career. So it's been it's been a choose your own adventure. Can we just talk about driving boats for a moment? I've got a boat license and my mate Mario, who you know, Ange, we bought a boat oh, 20 years ago before we had kids or we a single fancy free, we had it on the Hawkesbury. Now that was an 18 foot boat, yeah? Then we bought a Bavaria Sport, which had two big diesel Mercruisers. That was 48, 50 foot. Talk to us the size of the boat that you're driving. And I'm assuming it's a little bit of a different license to what we had with Floaty or Woohoo, the two boats we had. Yeah. So I've, I've been lucky enough to drive a range of ships. So Success, which was the big oil replenishment ship, right through to, to landing crafts uh, based out of Cairns to, to frigates. There's nothing like it. There's there's absolutely nothing like being in, in control and, and managing the people. So you have to understand that a ship doesn't just work with one person. It's a, it's a team of people that come together and regardless of whether you're you're the chef feeding everyone, you're the storesman ensuring that the ship is stored, or you're the person standing on the bridge, 
you know, ensuring that, you know, we're, we're safe in terms of navigational hazards, other vessels, etc. So it's a real team environment. And no one person is more important than the other. And each person forms a link in the chain. Huge lessons around leadership from the military. Huge lessons also around followership, which we'll talk about. But before we do that, Ange, I could see you were dying to ask Dana a question. I was going to ask, how do you go from tinkering and fixing the technical aspects of a ship to actually captaining or driving or being the one that pilots the trip? A lot of training. So when I changed over, I went down to, to Creswell on the South Coast of New South Wales for, for six months for the new entry officers course. And essentially you're, you're, you're rebuilt. So I had to look Lose a lot of bad habits and learn a lot of new habits. It's not like the washing machine question. All right, who's driven one of these babies? <laughs> <laughs> Young fella didn't put his hand up. It was my second go. So when they asked that, I was like, I can use one. <laughs> I'll do it. I went into it with a really open mind. And I think I had to because it's it's a rite of passage. I, you know, Yes, I'd been in the Navy for, I think, six, seven years by that point, uh, And I knew a lot of stuff. But I didn't know it from that new perspective of being charged and responsible for others. And so I really went into it, I guess, you know, from a mastery perspective, I, I kind of had a little bit of domain mastery, maritime mastery, down pat from my previous time in Navy. My technical mastery was essentially zero because I was learning a whole new skill set. And obviously my social mastery, I was being asked to apply social mastery in a different form. Uh, and, you know, and at the center of that was leadership. And I was learning how to be a leader. So I really had to focus on getting my technical mastery down pat. So the dotting the I's and crossing the T's in terms of, you know, operating a vessel, you know, navigating a vessel, you know, we call it rules of the road in terms of, you know, driving ship around the ocean, all of those skills, but it's also about being open to mentorship. So a lot of what we learn is on the job. And so, you know, listening, active listening, you know, and, and, any opportunity to be on the bridge if you had downtime, even if you weren't on watch, just to witness and see what's going on so you're learning all the time. That's incredible. And I think um, when you said it's almost like your first foray into leadership in terms of your career, you mentioned that you need to be open to mentorship. I would love to know who have been your biggest influences in terms of your career and why. Oh, good question. So there's a few. Obviously, it start, starting with my dad. So I saw the type of leader he was at the fire station during school holidays when I'd go there. Don't think I was meant to be there. And he was very collegiate, even though he was in a position of power. So I remember seeing that and going, oh, that's, that's really interesting. As a sailor, I had a CO, no names, no court marshals. And I remember I was working on the engine. We were broken down. Uh, in Western Australia, and for the weekend, while everyone was was out, sort of on leave, a team of us were on board, still tinkering away, trying to get the engine fixed. He stayed in the engine room with us for that whole weekend. Now he knew nothing about engines, but he understood that it was important, and we were there, and so he was there, and that's kind of what sparked my interest to change over because that we fixed the engine that subsequent week while we sailed back to the east coast he brought us all up to the bridge of the ship and let us drive and gave us an opportunity to throw the ship around and and, and have a bit of fun which then sparked that 
that fire in me to to want to try something different. Just laughing at that reminds me of he threw us the keys and allowed us to have a drive. My mum and dad are both off the land. Mum's from Wagga or Tootle outside Wagga. Dad's from Forest Reefs outside Orange. And as kids, when we'd go and visit relatives, or dad was a sheep and wool officer in Glen Innes, so we'd go out onto farms, he'd throw us the keys. So I'd sit on dad's lap and drive. So I learned to drive at eight, nine, ten on driveways. <laughs> it just made me laugh that it's similar. So you know, you've got your, your military dad saying, oh, here's the keys, young fella. Have a drive of the ship. There's nothing in this straight. Is, is that what it was like? Literally, you just have a drive a up exactly, the road? Exactly <laughs> like that. Yeah, Couldn't hit anything. Have a crack. Type thing. So you know that was that was really inspiring for me to see how how he operated. And, and in later years, once I'd changed over, he was that type of guy that it didn't matter if you're at an event and there was a heap of big wigs there that he should be speaking to. If he saw you across the room, he would come straight over because he was invested. You know, and I always took that away with me. I thought, wow, that's amazing. And then I, you know, subsequent to that, I've, I've had amazing. The bosses that I've worked for, I had I had Nexo when I was going through a tough time that couldn't do enough for me and 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 looked after me, and I really got that sense of that humanistic side of 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 leadership and and how my well being came before anything else, which I really took away. And then you know when I worked in Office of Chief of Navy, I, I had obviously uh, the Chief of Navy at the time, Vice Admiral Noonan. I had. The then Deputy Chief, now Chief of Navy, you know, Vice Admiral uh, Hammond. I had the now Fleet Commander, so Rear Admiral Smith, and and a Warrant Officer of Navy as in Deb Butterworth that were just inspirational humans. And I went into that job like a sponge, and I just wanted to suck in all of their knowledge and, and just watch what they do, how they do it, how they communicate, how they interact, how they prioritise, you know, when is enough enough? When is when are they pushing their limits and need to step back and, and exercise a bit of self-care to regenerate and push again? I've been really fortunate. And now my current boss as well in, in Rear Admiral Malcolm, once again, you know, I, I've been extremely lucky to have very inspirational leaders that I've worked for and I always go into it like a sponge. I've got a bone to pick with Rear Admiral Wendy Malcolm and it's Good analogy, like a sponge. It's when we did our Hewitt training, our helicopter <laughs> underwater escape training. I haven't seen Wendy since we did that. Can you pass me a message? <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> so the, the story on that is we were in Wendy's office and she said, look, Andrew, Angela, we're really enjoying the program we're doing with you. Uh, we'd like you to experience our world. You can do Hewitt training. And I went, oh, that sounds great. Yeah, yeah, me like charging a bull at the gate. And Ange, take us back. What did you think? I My first thought was, what is Hewitt training? Andrew's gone in all guns, very enthusiastic, going, yes. And I'm like, oh, wait a minute. What is it that we're signing up for? I think I went a bit pale <laughs> when I found out what it stood for. Helicopter underwater escape training. I think that pretty much sums it up. Yeah, but I went with the letters. Hewitt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I should have read the fine print. <laughs> so to help us understand your world, you and and Sam Tickle said, hey, go down and do the training at Nara. We charge down there. Uh, they, they talk about BUDS or the, the Navy training with the SEALs. They call them the prancing ponies. I think Dino and I were like the prancing ponies, the ex-athletes that go to military school and sort of prancing around. And you are like the – they talk about the quiet one in the corner not saying much who absolutely nailed it. Now, I didn't read the fine print that Sam sent us. I didn't realise it was six underwater. I thought it was one. Do you want to pick up the story, Ange? 
you actually went in to not even the first real run of the Hewitt training. You were in the, we have to go through and sit on a plastic rig that was set up where we were manually turned around and I was watching you do it, Andrew. And I think that's when you started to- Be nice to me. <laughs> I was going to say, freak out a little. <laughs> I panic, I felt a wave of anxiety come on top of me. Yeah. Um, and you actually had to uh, walk out of the room at that stage. And then I think that's when you realised y- you had to do this six more times. Yeah, I won't go into detail because <laughs> I want to get back to Dean, but I had to walk outside and just say, be calm, stay strong. You've got this, which is something I did a number of years ago when I panicked on a swim. So I had to go back to that muscle memory. But then I saw you nailing it and you're going, oh, this is just like a ride at SeaWorld. You just get tipped upside down. It was. Because, well, I looked around and I saw the number of support people that were with us, all the divers. I saw. I looked at the equipment and I'm like, no, nothing bad is going to happen. Treat it as a ride and an experience that I would never be able to get outside of this and just really enjoy it for what it was. And you know, follow the process. <laughs> yeah, good lesson in that for me, not following the process, but we got through it. Uh, I had to repeat one, Dino Gladstone, the probably Australia's best underwater breath work guy had to do one as well. So Ange won, we said on that. <laughs> it, was, it was a wonderful experience looking back in hindsight. At the start, I was thinking this is the worst thing possible. But yeah, you opened up your world to us. I think we got a real appreciation of of some of the activities, some of the training people do. This is real life and you have to draw on mental skills. You have to look at physiology. It's not just, hey, I'm driving a ship. This is all fun. This is serious, the work you do. Yeah. And I think that's, that's the element of mastery where, that sits in domain mastery. So giving that that sort of the awareness of the the other stuff. So, you know, you may be really technically proficient at, at your core role. Now you have to do it on a platform that moves and shakes. Plus, you have to know how to put out fires. Plus, you need to know what to do in a toxic hazard. Plus, you need to know how to escape the vessel if you need to. Uh, survive at sea if you need to. If you are in a hilo and it ditches, what do you do? So there's all this other stuff that comes on top of your technical mastery and your te- technical proficiency. So being able to open that world to yourselves refines the product of social mastery because it gives you a taste of actually what are the other stuff that, that we kind of have to deal with. Uh, and we do a very similar program within Naval Shipbuilding Sustainment Group for our APS members who are vital elements in the integrated workforce. Uh, without them, we can't do what we do operationally. So you know, by allowing them to come to see on board Navy ships or, or come to establishments, see our training, see what we do. It, it redefines what they do on a daily basis in the office uh, and how they contribute to the end effect. Mm. So it's vitally important. Mm. I, I want to talk more about the genesis of that with because you talk about the technical mastery. You obviously have maritime mastery, what to do at sea, and then we'd look at social mastery. But before we do that, can we go back to the young fella who's been there for a year or two now and the first deployment or the first time you went overseas. Now, you've told me some great stories over dinner and I'm not going to bring any of those up because I'll leave you to tell the stories you're happy to share. But can you share a story just to bring this to life, to add some colour? What was it like on one of your first deployments? So you rock up somewhere in Southeast Asia or somewhere in the world. Take us there. 
I have to think carefully, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> and only Navy people understand what I'm doing. You, you I'm told filtering. me the best. You told me, oh, this is great. You told me one of the funniest stories I've heard in a long, long time. Not that one. Just pick one of the other ones. Look, I mean, it, it's as, as a young guy uh, stepping ashore, as, as we refer to it, with, with a group of your peers after having been at sea for an extended period of time, there's nothing like it. Like you talk about team building activities. The closest thing I could probably, you know, in terms of uh, understanding would be sort of a, a post-football season trip away. And a, a lot's changed in the Navy and, and you know, um, the, the world has changed too, you know, with, with you know, COVID and whatnot. But there, there was nothing like that, that camaraderie and that esprit de corps of stepping with your mates as a family, because you all have each other's backs, you all run ashore, you all run amok, legally. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, I remember several times in Southeast Asia where, you know, you're either sort of looking after someone to get them back to the ship or you're, you know, you're getting looked after, getting back to the ship. Or so, because they've eaten food and that made their bellies up uh -huh. mm -hmm. because they're not totally used to the chilli or the, the local oh, produce. I was wondering what that was about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, look, it's, it's – I don't want to say it's a rite of passage because it's certainly not, but, uh, you know, th there's, there's nothing like that feeling. It's almost a uh, – you know, sort of job well done, go out. But that's that's essentially as well where, you know, you, you see the other sides of, of, of your team as well. And you see that, you know, yes, technically we work well together, but actually socially we all have each other's backs and we're all one team. You know, it's, it's not foreign that you would take over a venue collectively as a sort of shipped company, those that aren't on duty, and, and just enjoy each other's company in the safety of each other. Mm. The playful boy in you lights up when you reminisce and talk about some of those stories. You do, you, you, you light up. I can see the memories, the bonds. There's a mischievous tinkle in his there eye. Is, isn't there? <laughs> it's, it's the suppressed Tintin. <laughs> Tintin travels the world. <laughs> another podcast for another day. Hey, we had dinner recently before a program we ran with you. One of the most exciting programs I think we've ever done in our business, Thrive Stronger, recently. A night before with dinner, and you and Sam were saying that it's quite different now with the people coming through, that they go on their first deployment, they rock up at a port, and a lot of the young men and women saying, oh, where do I get protein powder? Um, where's the gym? So it's changed a little bit. I think, yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, when I reflect on my, my service in Navy, Navy has changed a lot. And, you know, I, I, I like to say, you know, I've grown a lot, Navy's grown more. And that's fantastic because, you know, Navy is evolving. We maintain our traditions and what makes us Navy, what, what that, that core, but we are evolving because we, we are a representation of the wider society and, and Australia's changed. And that, that's really positive. And at the end of the day, you know, ships and, and capability are great um, I should say ship, submarine, aircraft, you know, uh, are great. But Navy is people. That is what we are. That is our, our absolute core. Uh, and without that, we're nothing. Mm. Rewind to 2021. Wizard, who's here with us recording at the moment, we packed up the car and we drove to Canberra. 
We rocked into the Defence Centre at ADFA and uh, a whole lot of military people filled up the room. It was your fault we were there because at time, Chief of Navy Michael Noonan wanted to do a leadership program with a little bit of a difference. Uh, you rang up and said, hey, you've got this idea. We put it all together. Do you want to pick up on that? Because that's where we first connected and this whole genesis of social mastery. That's, well, from my understanding, that's where you really first planted that seed. Yeah. And I, oh, so I was lucky. So I was the assistant chief of staff to chief of Navy. I worked for a fantastic chief of staff in, in Eric Young. Uh, yeah, and a shout out to Eric as well. Yeah. Good, and we, and we, and we, had a, we had a conversation and he was like, I want to give back to the senior leadership team. And I was like, okay, that's, that sounds really interesting. Uh, he's like, go look at options. And he gave me a few names. I think your name was on the list. And, uh, on on so the bottom, I, <laughs> <laughs> everyone else was busy. No, she's away. Oh, she's too expensive. This guy. Oh no, yeah. So I went and uh, I, I did a bit of research, but I also went and I spoke with Vice Admiral Noonan and and now Vice Admiral Hammond, who was DCN at the time. And I said, look, this is kind of what I'm what I'm doing. You know, is it a bit woke? What do you think? And they're really progressive leaders. They they still are. And they're like, no, no, no. That's that's really good. Let's let's delve into that because what we had run previously were senior leadership events where they they all come together. The brains trust one stars and above. So the the, the very top of of navy, you know, they get the boss's intent. He may pose several questions to them. They brainstorm. They discuss, and and you know, it's all sort of blue sky thinking events. And and everyone every event is different. So to ask them to come back for a second day to look after themselves was really a big deal. And I wasn't sure how it was going to land. These are busy, busy people, busy lives, teams that expect a lot of them. We've already taken them out of their jobs for a day. Now we're going to ask them to spend another half day. I really wasn't sure how it was going to land. You know, insert yourself, Andrew, and your team. And I remember sat there going, righto. Fingers crossed this lands. If this works, it's my fault. If it and doesn't, it's my fault. <laughs> next minute, someone's saying, okay, everyone, take off your shoes and your socks, <laughs> plant your toes into the carpet. I was like, I'm done. <laughs> I'm done. Seek.com. I need to start looking. <laughs> I didn't realise that. that. That was Meryn Aldridge we had on that day. It was myself, Dr. Tom Buckley and Meryn Aldridge, and Wizard was running around filming. Wiz, do you remember what you said to me as everyone piled in the room? Yeah, they all looked exactly the same. Yeah, because a lot of the people in military uniform, they look similar. The men and women in the room just look so resplendent, so, so like professional. But I didn't realise that you were sitting there squirming going, oh, this is a career-limiting move. <laughs> <laughs> but in the end, like, and I, I remember, I think it was the first break, and you and, and Dr. Tom were swarmed by individual one-stars, passing numbers, discussing. And I remember, no names, no court-martials, one of them asked a question about regulation because he worked away from home, so interstate, and he said that, you know, it, he often brings work home. And you provided some really sound advice around, you know, sort of taking the time to disconnect, sort of downregulate and, and perform at your best for those people at home. And I was like, oh, God, now I'm learning stuff. You know, so- I remember that guy and I- I found out after he was very senior and I went up to him and said, thank you, because I think that really shifted the room. It's where you have a moment with a person that asks a question. And after I settled down, because it, it is, you know, Andrew, you've been there, it looks so, like, 
everyone walks it's in in uniform and it's a little bit intimidating. I'm thinking, God, like I don't know about Navy or military. But then I realised you're all people and you all have challenges and you all have joys and you all have areas in your life that you've struggled with. And I think once we adopted that mindset, okay, now we can serve, you know, we can support the people that serve us by giving some of those fundamental skills that your vision was on social mastery, because you can train this, you can totally train these skills. Yeah. And I think, you know, from, from my perspective, these people lead with everything. They, they give everything for what they do every day. And by giving them the tools to to do that at home, not saying they don't do that at home, but giving them the tools to sort of separate those things and, and, and you know, be their best professionally and personally is really important. And that was kind of the genesis afterwards to sort of reflect and go, wow, that's really great that we're able to offer that to our senior leaders. But these these life lessons aren't just for our senior leaders. This applies to everyone because we all have these challenges. Whether you're a, you know, a, a, a seaman or a, you know, an APS four, you still have a family at home. You still feel the stresses of your job. Okay, they may be different stresses, but that that doesn't mean they're not heavy and and and, and you know and just as important as the as the senior leader. And and you know, and the touch points at home are equally as important, regardless of where you are on the ladder at work. If you had um, to rewind and go back to a 17-year-old, what do you think doing a social mastery program like this one would have done for you? It's a really interesting question because we we have skirted around social mastery. So, you know, in, in the military, we've always sort of had a lot of sort of courseware and 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 lessons on you know looking after each other and you know whether it's you know cultural awareness cultural tra- change programs they've always been evident as a 17 year old I don't know what I would have taken away from it to be perfectly honest I don't think I knew what I was doing tomorrow let alone what I was doing in 6 months or what I was doing you know I was just sort of going day to day that's not to say that you know some of these lessons wouldn't have been embedded and I would have been able to apply them subconsciously. Certainly when times were getting tough at sea, you know, maybe I would have had the the skills to sort of do a bit of self-reflection and sort of downregulate and upregulate to sort of perform at my best, regardless of where I where I was, you know, whether I was at home or, or at work. I might jump in and give a view on that as well, because first of all I thought, God Ange, that's a tough question. I could see Dean reflecting. We're about to do a program with you with graduates and I'm thinking about what do we teach graduates. It's different to what we've been teaching your one stars and, and your senior leaders because at that stage and when you've had 10, 20, 30 plus years of leadership, there's an awareness and there's experience. So you've got context specific examples where you can go, oh, if I could have regulated my emotions better in that situation, this may have happened differently. Or when I've been in the plane, the helicopter, the, the, the ship or whatever, and this went wrong because someone made a decision under pressure, oh, I could have saved that happening. When you're 17, like, oh, I don't know what a washing machine is and, and I'm not, I don't have to be home with mum and dad after 6pm. You know, Rundle Street Mall, they sweep you out of there after 6pm in Adelaide. So what we're going to be looking at with the, the recruits coming through is just some of those basic core skills, just some of the 
regulation around breathing, some of the thought control techniques I do with my athletes. It's keeping it really basic. And that's something we're learning from you as well is to give a little bit of information but not overload. You know, they often say the student or the teacher appears when the student is ready. Yeah. I think our program at ADFA really focuses on the pressure that those midshipmen and officer cadets are under. So that that's a real pressure cooker of an environment and deliberately so because we're trying to build future leaders in the integrated workforce. You know, they, they've got a lot of academic demands. They've got a lot of uh, military learning and, and leadership demands on them as well. And and they are sort of you know, expected to rise above. And, and so giving them the skills to, you know, reflect uh, and, and take those opportunities where they do have some downtime to prioritize themselves is really important. I mean, I was a divisional officer at the academy in 2010 uh, of first years. I saw firsthand how dedicated these individuals are. They are, you know, I look at them as as young people and I look at what I was at 17, chalk and cheese. I could not have gone to the academy as a 17-year-old dean. I would not have lasted. You know, they're, 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 they're a very special select group of people. And that said, they're, they're still humans and they, and they still need that, that, that support and guidance. So I think that program is going to be amazing. But going back to sitting in that auditorium at ADFA, shoes off, socks off, and you having a CLM, a career limiting move, and then seeing that people were warming to it. It's evolved a lot a couple of years later. We talk, Ange, about the four different domains of social mastery. Let's go through what they are, and then I want to ask Dean a few questions. In our program, we look at self-awareness, which is about being curious and having an open mindset, and also understanding and reflecting on our own thoughts and behaviours of where we are right now. The second one is around self-management, which is the ability to control our behaviours, thoughts and emotions in a conscious and productive way. The third is around social awareness. Now, social awareness is the ability to take the perspective of and empathise with others, including those with diverse backgrounds and cultures from your own. And the last one, Andrew, is around relationship management, which includes how well people work in a group and the ability to maintain healthy relationships. Yeah. And also, Ange, the program now has really expanded. Social mastery and the integrated mindset half-day masterclass is now being made available for Navy, for Air Force, for Army, and also for APS, which I mentioned before. So I should explain the acronym. I'm starting to sound like I work in defense. That is the Australian public sector. And what's great about these programs is they are available for all APS and ADF, Australian Defence Force members, no matter what level or rank. If you're a member of the senior leadership team or someone who has just joined Defence yesterday, you can participate in these programs. So it really is all about inclusion. Curiosity question for you, Dan. How did you go from trialling a program to then getting this to be a major part of the curriculum. Now, not just in Navy, but we had people recently, 750, 800 people back in that same hall in ADFA. I think we kept shoes and socks on this time. How did you take it from an idea in a workshop to where it is now? I'll step back a little bit because the the, the genesis of mastery and, and social mastery is is not mine. Like I, I can't accept any any credit for it. You know, it, it is well structured and it's well designed uh, from in, within Navy and within Defence. We've just jumped on the back of it and we're trying to articulate it and deliver it in a way that is accessible 
to, to people. So from those early days with, with Office of Chief of Navy and the senior leadership group to the pilot program we run for Naval Shipbuilding Sustainment Group, which we just opened it up to, to members within, within the group, uh, and the positive feedback we got from that, I was at a real crossroads as to this is a fantastic program. How do we propagate this out and get maximum reach because regardless of whether you're a, you're a public servant, you're in the army, air force, navy, non-service group, you know the the joint domain, you know cyberspace, there's something there for everyone. And so that was the idea around what the program looks like now. So the integrated mindset, a social mastery journey with the masterclasses being held at ADFA and, and then supported by the social mastery program, which is the online component across four weeks. So that was that was really I don't I don't want to accept responsibility for the whole idea because it's absolutely not mine. It's some someone else, a team of people. But absolutely at the application of it is there's just a great opportunity. And it's just crazy if we don't. I think what you did though, you saw that yeah, the, the heavy lifting had been done with the framework. But when we look at those four areas, self-awareness, self-management, social awareness, and relationship management, when we started working with you and, and dug a little bit deeper, that comes from Daniel Goldman's EQ or emotional intelligence. What you did is you gave us permission to put a bit of colour to it. So not just to talk in concepts, constructs, psychological research terms. What does self-awareness mean on the whole person, my brain, my body, my thoughts, my feelings, then right through to self-management around productivity. It is an integrated workforce. We have APS, we have defence and everything in between. So what we have loved is that permission you gave us to put some colour to this but with some rigour, but to really bring it to life. Did you have another moment when we rolled out our first pilot where you're thinking, oh, God, he's he's – sometimes, yeah, I can go a little bit close to the line. So did you have any of those moments where you thought, oh, God, here's another career-limiting move or have we stayed inside the, the guidelines? Yeah, no, I, I, I was pretty comfortable that time. I, You know, I'd, I'd spoken at length with Admiral Malcolm uh, and I had, you know, approval to get after it, you know, to, to meet her mandate as, as head of stream for maritime acquisition and sustainment. So – I was, I was fairly comfortable by that stage. And, you know, we'd worked together and I knew sort of your left and rights and we'd had a lot of discussions around what it should look like. And, you know, I still go back to you asked me at the time, what does success look like? And I, I said something along the lines of, you know, success is one person changing their life, taking something away from the program and changing their life for the better. Social mastery is such a personal thing. You know, we, we, can, we can discuss the tools, we can talk about options, we can talk about, you know, the process, but at the end of the day, it's a real personal journey uh, and there's no right or wrong. So, you know, if, if something resonates with you and you want to adopt it and do that, then that's great. You know, if, if it doesn't resonate with you, if you still want to be on your phone, you know, 30 seconds before you close your eyes, then, you know, that's your choice. But at least you understand the theory behind the, the information that's being presented to you. I need to give a shout out as well to Command Warrant Officer Anthony Duncan as well. I, I like to have a bit of fun with Anthony in some of our workshops and he fires me up. We've had this friendly banter between football teams. When I was at Parramatta, he's obviously a raved Cowboys supporter. I made him wear Parramatta gear when we did the ice bath. You remember that? He just looked so – he looked miserable when he had to wear the Parramatta gear. But a big shout out to Anthony as well because I know he's been a big driving force behind this. Yeah, absolutely. I have an amazing team. So Warren Officer Duncan, Petty Officer Sam Tickle, 
amazing driving force. And without them, we wouldn't be where we are. It's pure and simple. Like I'm a, I'm a big blue sky thinker, but uh, you know Sam specifically has a has a, a brain for details, and and can the get understatement. After Petty officer Sam Tickle will make sure you listen to the bit. Is it like a a new model? I thought you were. <laughs> Detailed, and that's why we work well together with our yin and the yang. But Sam even takes that to a I whole different level. I love working with Sam. He just makes everything and so much easier. And he's got not just that, but great insights into the inner workings of how things work within the Navy. And just he's been invaluable. So we're very appreciative of both Sam, Anthony, and yourself on this. But speaking of the personal journey of social mastery, I'm going to ask a similar question to what I did before. Understand that it is hard to see how this program would apply to you as a young Tintin 17-year-old, but with your 26-plus years of experience and all your learnings to date, what have you learnt out of the Social Mastery Program? I apply it in a couple of aspects. So certainly within my leadership, you know, I want to be a, a thoughtful leader. I want to empower my team to be the best they can be. You know, I like to sort of say I'm a humanistic, transformational style leader. I'm lucky I have the ability in, in my roles and, and previous roles since I've been back in Navy that I can do that. I don't have to essentially be authoritarian. So I definitely use it to establish an environment within my team where people are psychologically safe, where ideas uh, can not only be challenged, challenges are welcome. So that's really important to me. But probably more important is how I apply it at home and how I can be the best at home. So I have a support base, you know, my wife and my kids, you know, without that bedrock, I don't come to work and perform. And I, and I don't always get it right. You know, I'm not saying that I'm perfect because I'm, I'm far from perfect. But I've identified that that is a really vital area for me, the home base, uh, and ensuring that they are safe, secure, and that when I'm home, I'm home. And that's probably my biggest lesson is, you know, we spoke about it at the last masterclass, which is being present. You know, yeah, for years and years, I was on the bridge of a ship, taking in inputs in both ears visually at the bridge window, the captain's talking to me, someone's putting a fix on, talking to me where the ship is, all these inputs and I'm processing, prioritizing, and then, you know, assigning tasks, you know, in a priority list. That doesn't work when you're speaking to your wife. (laughs) (laughs) Or your kids. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, I'm having a bit of projection here. (laughs) So I really need to be present. You know, I need to come home and go, yep, there are things that are required of me from work after hours, but I'm going to put my phone in the office and I'll go there every 40 minutes and I'll just check to see if anyone you know, sent me an email or I need something. Or maybe I don't need to check my emails tonight. Maybe everything can wait till tomorrow. Maybe there's something more important going on at home. Maybe I am able to because I have the luxury to, to go to the school assembly you know, and I'll work back a bit later to, to sort of cover that gap. That's what I'm trying to do is, is, is ensure that that bedrock at home is, is strong and set. You've mentioned the Navy has changed. As I hear that story, I think, gosh, it's come a long way. Can you imagine a commander back 20 or 30 years ago saying a story like that comfortably and, and, and amplifying that on a podcast that's going to all people inside Navy and other people now doing our program in defense? So I, I, I love the authenticity about that. 
uh, I've really enjoyed the interview today to get to know you more. But to to relay that and to process that, that just shows how far society, how far the military has come. We have leaders saying, hey, when I go home, I'm similar, right? I get feedback all the time, Dean. Yeah, you're not doing your mental skills now. You're not at keynote. <laughs> Take the rubbish out. There's there's no organ or there is an organisation chart at my house, and I'm way down the bottom. Well, essentially, I am too. So I sit <laughs> I sit below the dog in the pecking order, and uh, the, uh, there's no no two ways about that. And I'm quite comfortable to sit there. You know, you lead at work, and I can follow at home. But look, you know, we've always practiced family first in the military. You know, family is key to what we do. We cannot go and serve without you know that that stability back home and we are very very thankful and i think we always have been maybe we haven't articulated it well we certainly are better at that now to identify that you know family is essential you know and that's from our senior leaders down family is essential I've got an open loop I need to close otherwise people will listen to this and go oh he hasn't come back to that he said at the very start Followership versus leadership. I've learned a lot from working with you and from working with the Navy around that. Can you just give us a brief definition of what that means and and how you see that play out? Look, I, I think to be a good leader, you have to be a good follower. You need to know what it is to follow. You know, to and and when I say follow, that doesn't mean you can't challenge the status quo, but you have to do it in a respectful way. Uh, and. and if you have been a good follower and you have learnt those skills, then when you are leading and someone does have a, a different opinion or wants to offer, you know, advice, then you're open to it. We use something in the Navy called, um, we, we stole it from the airline industry, which is, you know, they use cockpit resource management. We use bridge resource management. And it's about setting the environment, the ecosystem on the bridge of a ship where regardless of who the individual is, they can raise a concern. And they know that they can raise it and it can be taken seriously. Now, as the leader, I have to acknowledge the concern. I don't have to act upon it necessarily, but at least they've been listened to because maybe they've seen something or heard something that I haven't and that everyone else hasn't. So it's really important to establish that that ecosystem where followers can be heard and leaders can lead. Such a good lesson. I think in non-defense world, the word follower has had a really negative connotation. Oh, he's a follower or she's just a follower. But when you position it like that, it's a skill. It's a skill to lead, but it's also a skill to follow, command and, and be part of a team and do what you're meant to do. Yeah. And, I, you know, I, I was lucky enough to be out at the uh, Australian Defence College last week out at Western Creek in Canberra. Uh, and Anne Goyne, who, who's on staff out there, she's a clinical psychologist. She, she said something that really resonated with me because she said, you know, uh, leadership is love. And, and we don't normally talk about love in the sense of, of the military. You know, it's not, not because we're all macho, but it's just not something that we connect. Leadership and love very, you know, they don't sort of fit together that well. But, you know, when you actually stop and reflect on it and think about it, you know, what, what is love? Well, love is trust and honesty and setting the conditions where people feel safe. And so as a leader, that, that is essentially love. You know, and it really resonated with me, and I don't want to steal it, so Anne, thank you. But uh, you know, it's, it's, if you can set the ecosystem and the environment where people feel comfortable enough to be led, then it makes your leadership so much easier. How comfortable are you in this environment? 
the podcast environment. Yeah. Not comfortable at all. Okay, because I was just about to say, I love you, Dean. <laughs> <laughs> I love you too, Andrew. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> no, that was really uh, a lovely way to like wrap up and sum up what leadership is. I think what I'm hearing is that psychological safety is basically the culture that is cultivated within defence through that leadership recognising that it's a fellowship, it's about trust, it's about listening respectfully so that people can come and bring ideas or challenges in a way that's go- that they don't feel threatened. So I think that's a great example of how psychological safety is implemented in a really what some people see as very hierarchical organisation. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's all about the culture. I think it's all about the culture and, and the environment. And a, as a leader, it, it's you know incumbent upon us all to ensure that all of our people feel comfortable you know, to, to come to work every day and, and to be the best they can be. So, yeah, I think that's spot on. And I think, you know, social mastery specifically, you know, obviously technical mastery and domain mastery are really, really vital, important parts of the triangle. Um, but social mastery is that is that bedrock because it's not only about doing the right thing by your people, but it's also doing the right thing by yourself. And ensuring that, you know, self, you know, care starts with self and then it can push out. Beautiful segue into one of my final questions. So can you put your hands out like this, both of you? We've got the imaginary crystal ball in the podcast studio, Dean. On two levels. One, let's look into the crystal ball. What does social mastery look like in a couple of years? What 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 are your people learning, doing, feeling, communicating? differently as a result of your vision to embed social mastery. You know what I what I hope for the future is that social mastery is second nature. You know, a lot of what we do in the other parts of that triangle, domain mastery, you know, and and technical mastery is second nature. Yes, it's it's formalized, we train for it, we do it well. You know, social mastery it needs to be there too. So, I want this all of these skills to be second nature. You know, if change is generational, so if we can embed the change now, then in a couple of generations' time, it, it, it won't seem foreign. I think that's that's the, the gold-plated end state. Hmm. And it's your fault. <laughs> it's your well, fault if you got kicked out of that <laughs> that first workshop with the shoes. No, you've got a great team, but I, I, I mean the vision you all have – to embed this and to move it forward, it is taking a step outside of the comfort zone. It's taking a, taking a step outside of what has been done previously. So it, it requires a bit of braveness. Yeah, it, it, well, I, I don't classify myself as being brave. The organisation is brave. The organisation wants to be better and therefore we're getting latitude to get after it and, and make it better. You know, I'm a, a maritime human resource officer by profession now, uh, that didn't exist in 97 when I joined as a, as a marine technician. The organization is taking steps to be, to be better and to evolve. And that's not gonna stop in 2023. We're gonna keep evolving. And, and you know, by the, by the time I'm an old man in my rocking chair, you know, the core of Navy will still remain the same. It'll still be our traditions, what we are, and the people. 
But Navy is going to look very, very different and defense will look very, very different. Um, and that's a good thing. Mm. So the second question on the crystal ball, what are you doing down the track? What does life look like for you? Two, two part answer, I guess. So uh, I'm more present at home and I am establishing that bedrock more solidly so that I can go to work and perform at my best. As for what, what's next for, for, for Dean Thompson, I think you need to rub that crystal ball a bit harder. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll keep rubbing. Thank you so much, Dean, for being on our podcast today. I really enjoyed the discussion. And I really want to thank you and your team for the opportunity for us to work together. We've thoroughly enjoyed the partnership, the pushing us and what we do and also just seeing the generosity and the spirit within the um, department to see that giving back to the people that serve us um, and for us to help uh, the people that serve our country has just been an absolute privilege. Thank you. It's been a, a pleasure working with you both. Obviously, we're going to continue our partnership into the future. Uh, I really look forward to seeing where, where we end up and, and how, many, how many touch points we get. Looking forward to many more shoes and socks off in the future. <laughs> Not mine. <laughs> and, and at the same time, having your anxiety levels much, much lower. I, I didn't realise that's been a real learning for me today. I'm sorry, Dean, that I put you through that anguish. It must have been an awful moment. At least he knows how to launder his socks now, though. Exactly. Oh, what a great way to finish up. I see what you did there. Hey, uh, thank you. Thank you uh, for today. Uh, thank you for your generosity. And thank you for opening up your world to us and giving us an opportunity to partner, as Anne said, with Defence, who does so much to look after us and to come back and to be able to help some of those people, even in a small way, means a lot to us. Pleasure.